live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. And now there's a beach ball on the field. And the ball boys are discussing which one of them's going to go get it. This is the Press Box. I never realized how boring this game is. Tyler Bischoff. Expired. 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 Adam Candy. I have literally no idea what happens in Candy's briefs. I've just been told that it's good. On ESPN Las Vegas. Ed Graney is out today. He's in L.A. traveling to L.A. for the Raiders and Chargers. We'll get into the Patriots, Buccaneers, and the rest of the NFL action, plus some UNLV football. Another moral victory for Marcus Arroyo. But we start with Monday Night Football and the Raiders. The first bite. Is Justin Herbert the biggest threat the Raiders have faced? I'm kind of excited to see how the Raiders play tonight because we have seen a very improved defense through the first three weeks of the season. Uh, The pass rush has been much better. The linebacker play has been better. Casey Hayward has been a phenomenal addition to the secondary, but we have yet to see a team that will throw the ball down the field against this defense. Ben Roethlisberger's arm doesn't work anymore. The Ravens took a couple of shots, but that's not really uh, what their offense was built around in that game. And then Jacoby Brissett exists. Uh, pass rush has been very good for the Raiders so far. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see, can the Raiders pass rush keep up? Can they maybe prevent some of the shots down the field that Herbert will take and do Casey Hayward, Trayvon Mullen and Trayvon Merrick sort of stand up and handle this test. Which of those questions would you like to start with? Because <laughs> there's a lot of them? like a multiple okay. choice yeah. exam. All right. Let's go with the secondaries. Trayvon Merrick, any good? Trayvon Merrick was expected to be good. Trayvon Merrick had a first-round grade and slipped into the second round. So, yeah, Trayvon Merrick's been fine. I think Trayvon Merrick's been helped by the fact that Casey Hayward and Trayvon Mullen, to some degree, have been decent for the Raiders. I think everyone's been helped by the scheme overall, right? What we hear all offseason, we heard that it's going to be simpler. It's going to be easier. Now, the problem that we potentially could find out some uh, some issues with today is that this cover three scheme that we've heard so much about the league having figured out, well, you just mentioned it. Who exactly is it that was going to figure it out? Um, Lamar Jackson to this point of the season in terms of just pure passing grade is number 16 in the uh, pro football focus rankings. He's down there with Jalen Hurts and Sam Darnold. It's not a ringing endorsement of Lamar Jackson as a passer. Uh, and you mentioned what you need to hear about both Ben <laughs> Roethlisberger and Jacoby Brissett. So, yeah, look, the, the difference with the Raiders this year in 2021 is that in games they're supposed to win, they've won, right? What, if what we know of Pittsburgh now and against Miami – They're both games the Raiders, as currently constructed, should win. That has not been the case since they've gotten to Las Vegas and even since they announced their intent to come to Las Vegas until this year so far. So do you consider tonight a game they're supposed to win? The spread would say they're not. Um, I think this is probably a pretty flat, even game here, right? It's two teams that have performed very well to this point that still have very obvious questions about them. You brought up a lot of them when it comes to... The Raiders, 
I think on the Chargers side, you have to ask yourself, is this defense as bad as it's been uh, thus far? Because the grades on this defense show you a much different story than what's happened on the field. If you Whether you want to go by DVOA with the, the Chargers defense, where they're ranked down at 22nd, whether you want to go with uh, their pass coverage grade by pro football focus, where they're 26th. Um, it, it's not a defense that has performed all that well up until this point with its coordinator having moved three and a half hours up the road to the Northeast. So, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, Brandon Staley's gotten a lot of credit for what this team has done thus far, but the analytics say that there is some positive regression to still be had for the Chargers defense, which it seems a little bit weird. We're ranking the defenses in the AFC West. Are we going Denver one? Raiders second right now and then Chargers and Chiefs in third and fourth by three games of performance in 2021 probably um I think by the time the season is over it probably flips between the Raiders and the Chargers but I think the the one thing that is painfully clear if you're a Kansas City fan is that they can't stop anyone (laughs) no they cannot (laughs) just don't punt in a game and everything will be fine score on seven out of nine drives and everything's cool yeah you can't you kind of can't lose if you do that so it'll yeah. be it'll be just fine so oh right. the old madden plan no right. punts just, just, just score punt. just score every time it'll it'll be perfectly fine so all right on this matchup with the raiders and the chargers the chargers have a, a pretty solid offensive line so far this season they've gotten good production out of their first round pick uh rashawn slater uh, but the Raiders come in with two of the top 10 edge rushers by pro football focus and Ngakwe and Max Crosby. Oh, I think Carl Nassib's in the top 20 as well. Uh, they've gotten really good production, like much better than expected production out of their edge rushers, out of their defensive line when it comes to putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And so when you look at the, the Chargers, when you look at their offense, Justin Herbert's ability to throw it down the field, That pass rush, this is where I'm fascinated to see, can it prevent the Chargers from even taking some of those deep shots? Can it effectively protect the secondary, if it even needs protecting? It's been good this year, but can it protect the secondary and prevent, you know, Jonathan Abrams from having to cover somebody deep down the field or Trayvon Merriger, rookie, having to cover a lot of people deep down the field? If it can do that, then this might be the biggest moment of the season for this defense to really prove that it's real and really prove that Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe is truly a top 10, top five pass rushing duo in the NFL. But do they have to? Like, I mean, when it comes to us sitting here saying, are the numbers real? They do. But if we go back and take the larger view, Tyler, of what you and I have talked about for a long time, it's that if the offense is truly going to be at the level that it's been thus far this year, Derek Carr specifically, then this defense doesn't really have to be that good. They can take some steps back, and this team can still win games. It hasn't looked that way thus far because the Raiders have lived on a razor's edge in winning two games in overtime and needing a huge third down play from Carr to Ruggs at 16-14 with nine minutes to go in the fourth against Pittsburgh to be 3-0. They just need to be average. They need to be probably... 75% of what we've seen thus far in order for this team to be competitive and have a chance to go to the playoffs. I am expecting the offense to take a step back though. Like I don't think they can continue to produce at the level they have with the offensive line play that they've gotten. Like I think at some point that's going to catch up and 
I, I think the big thing is going to be turnovers. I think at some point you're going to have a game or a stretch of games here where Carr gets hit enough, and we've seen Carr have fumbling problems when he gets hit in the past, or Carr, who's been more aggressive this year, takes some shots that end up getting picked off because he's under more pressure than he should be because the offensive line hasn't been good. I think it's, I mean, it's amazing that the offense has been as good as it is with this poor of offensive line plays they've gotten. And because of that, I, I think there's going to be some steps back on offense. So when we talk about, you know, can the defense just be average or slightly above average? And that's enough for what the Raiders offense is. I just don't expect the Raiders offense to stay at the level it is, or even be what it was last season. I think this is going to be at the end of the year, a more average NFL offense than say the 10th or ninth best in the NFL. I see where you're coming from because I see the same numbers that you see. I wonder if the deficiencies are in the right spots. Um, yeah, they are an abysmal run blocking team. And if you want to use the grades, we always use the PFF grades. Like it's scary. They have a 35 run blocking grade thus far this year. And if you want to put that in context, the Colts are 31st at 49. That gap being roughly, what, 13 and a half points. In order to get another 13 and a half points of grade, you have to go up to the number 17 Buffalo Bills. That's how far behind the Raiders are in terms of pass blocking. I should say run blocking. Their pass blocking thus far is 20th. Not great. Uh, not even good average. Uh, they can only get better from here if you assume that they're going to get incognito back at some point and be able to get some experience under the belt of some of the guys that they have. So can Gruden scheme around that? Can Carr perform around that? Because he has the exact same uh, time to throw right now. When blitzed, when not blitzed, he has a grade that's almost 20 points better when blitzed. So they're finding ways to handle the pass pressure. The question is going to be, can they win without a running game, which is just hilarious with what you and I have spent years <laughs> talking about, which is, is John Gruden never going to stop trying to run the ball 25 times a game? <laughs> and he actually has. I think they're top five in terms of like throwing the ball on first and second down this year. Like they're actually, instead of being, hey, we're going to give it to Josh Jacobs a couple of times and hope to get to third and three, which they were really good at that last year. They just didn't convert the third and shorts very often. They're actually throwing on first and second down more than most teams in the NFL. And again, it, it listen, if this continues, like you said, the deficiencies are probably in the right place. And it could lead to a whole year of John Gruden letting Derek Carr throw the ball down the field on first and second down, like being a more aggressive offense from the start. I just still don't. I know we've seen it for three games. I just still don't believe that it's actually going to happen for the entire course of a season. Don't you think that the most efficient course for this Raiders offense to continue the way they've been going this year is that once Josh Jacobs suits up, and we know he's a game-time decision here tonight, once Josh Jacobs actually gets in uniform in the locker room, couldn't you have someone the size of an incognito or or you know a john simpson just casually maybe step on that toe right before the game and <laughs> make sure that josh jacobs isn't available for john gruden to get tempted to try to go back to 15 years running the football because if josh jacobs is healthy that john gruden is required to give him 22 carries not required <laughs> he just can't resist the temptation like you know i I theoretically can look at the bagels on the counter and say, well, yeah, I'm going to pass on that. But in reality, I'm going to eat them in the end. <laughs> so I need I think you need to take John Gruden's bagels away from him and force him to eat something healthier. Oh, poor John Gruden. Let's see. Josh Jacobs, when he plays, has only ever had one game with less than 10 carries. 
And in his 29 career games, he has had at least 20 with 15 or more carries and 11 with, or excuse me, 12 with 20 or more carries. So, And if you think that we're throwing these numbers out there and it's like, well, they just hate running backs. They just love the numbers. Think about this. I don't remember the exact stat on this. John Gruden, since he's come back to the Raiders, has played as many or more close games, like one-score games, than any other team in the NFL. John Gruden has tried to play a style that is going to live on that Razor's edge. And so in close games, you need every little edge you can get. And that edge is throwing the football, especially on early downs. That's part of why the Raiders have been able to pull out close games. All right, coming up next... Did Bill Belichick get a moral victory like three decades into coaching? What were some of the things you guys did to maybe try to keep the Bucks guessing offensively? What, what did we try? I don't understand the question. How did you try to confuse the Bucks? Yeah, we used multiple, multiple rushes and multiple coverages. Been doing that all year. I don't think it was anything you know, big of a surprise to them. But you'd have to ask them, I don't know. It's been a great stadium for me for a long time, so I don't know what the future holds. You know, obviously, there could be an opportunity to come back here, so we'll see. I, I feel like I'll always be a part of this community, and I'll be, I'll be up here quite a bit when it's all said and done. When I retire, I'm sure there'll be you know, a lot of time. 54-year-old Tom Brady takes the field to start for the New England Patriots as he retires one last season with New England. He got a win last night, 19-17, to over the New England Patriots. All right, Adam, Bill Belichick's been coaching for a long time. Why did last night feel like a moral victory for him? Because he covered? Next question? Or, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. Like, Ultimately, we came into this game thinking, oh, Tom Brady revenge story is going to come in here after winning the Super Bowl and wreck Bill Belichick. Well, Belichick did what he does, which is A, play good defense, and B, do some sort of human sacrifice to get that rainstorm. And those two things together <laughs> led to the Patriots being able to cover. So, okay, what's more important for the Patriots? That last night, their defense kept Tom Brady from blowing them out, held the Buccaneers to 19 points. Tom Brady didn't look very good, didn't even break 300 yards passing in that game. Or that they moved on from Tom Brady and Mac Jones is their rookie quarterback. And they were only able to put up 17 points, despite a lot of people thinking Mac Jones played really well, me included. They still only put up 17 points last night. Which of those is more indicative of what the Patriots are, the good defensive performance or the fact that good Mac Jones yields 17 points? Both, right? Like when I was talking about this game on a different program yesterday before it happened, I said, look, it exists in one of two game states. There's only two ways this can play out. One, Tom Brady's going to come in here, throw the ball down the field all day long, and the Bucs are going to win by multiple touchdowns. The other game state is that the Patriots find a way to grind this thing into one of the uglier football games you'll ever see, and that's exactly what they did. And Mac Jones throwing the ball short, 40 attempts and 275 <laughs> yards, and boy, is my math bad, but I'm going to say that's <laughs> roughly... Uh, what about seven yards per attempt um that's pretty well the way that they're trying to win games this year right they lost to miami 17 16 that's the game they want to play so yeah defense and mac jones not trying to take too many shots or frankly any shots uh, is the way they're gonna go jacoby myers took the shots down the field they had jacoby myers throw two passes and he might have had more total air yards than mac jones did on 40 passes 
Would you believe after watching this game that Jacoby Myers play included that there was a point at which five consecutive drives yielded points? Did it really? Wow. Nineteen seventeen, and if you look at it, you see that it because it was seven six at one point, and because the Bucks lived in a field goal parade, that actually happened. <laughs> I okay. Here's I don't know if I'm getting old or what happened here, but for whatever reason, I enjoyed that game. Like, I don't understand why I enjoyed that game, but I enjoyed that game. Like, it felt like it was a well-played, bad football game, but I enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it because of the Tom Brady story? No, like, I, like I, the, the part I enjoyed was Mac Jones, and he did it, you know, twice in the game, driving down the field by completing just 102-yard passes in a row. And for whatever reason, I enjoyed that. I don't know why, but I felt like, oh, yes, this is fun to watch. Mac Jones is going to keep hitting them with these five-yard in routes, and it's gonna, they're going to kill them with paper cuts. Tyler's okay, so basically, you, you are getting to live the grown-up version of what you missed as a child because as a young boy, this is what Tom Brady has been doing the entire time <laughs> you've been alive. We used to talk about back in the day, you know, while, while you were still in your underoos, we were talking about how Bill Belichick kept all of the schemed throws in front of Tom Brady right in the middle of the field, right? He never had to turn, he never had to move. They just kept the concept simple, allowed him to keep throwing little crossers all day long until such time as they had the opportunity to take a shot. Well, they just haven't reached the take a shot with Mac Jones here in game number four quite yet. Okay, so who is going to be Mac Jones' as Randy Moss then? Not Nikhil Harry. <laughs> Um, not Jacoby Myers. No, come on. The better question than Randy Moss, because Randy Moss was just, you know, a brief flash of light in New England. Who is going to be his gritty, gutty, white wide receiver? That's what we don't have yet. We we, we haven't gotten his Welker, his Amendola, um, his Edelman. That's what we don't have. We're missing, yeah, he needs a, Mac Jones needs a best friend that he slowly gets concussed to the point that he has to wear a special helmet. Could have been Hunter Renfro. I don't know why they didn't draft Hunter Renfro. Well, are they ever in third in Renfro, or do they just get it in the first two downs? Yeah, just get it in the first two downs. It's way mm-hmm. better that way anyways. But, like, uh-huh. okay, here, th- listen. Yeah, I know you say flash in the pan with Randy Moss. It's Justin Jefferson. Vikings, one year with the Raiders, fails, Patriots, 40 touchdowns. Well, I'm sure the Raiders are going to enjoy that year. <laughs> How are they going to fit Justin Jefferson in by the time they pay Devontae Adams next year? That's a good question. Maybe it's Devontae Adams. They pay Devontae Adams, and then he. we can just say NFC North team had a great receiver. doesn't have to be the Vikings. Raiders get him, and he's not any good, and then the Patriots get a hold of him, and Mac Jones all of a sudden sets an NFL record for touchdown passes. All right, so since we spent so much time talking about Brady and Belichick all week long and now even after the game, I feel in, entitled to do this for just a second here. How shocked will you be if the Raiders don't end up with Devontae Adams next year? Does he actually like Derek Carr? <laughs> all right, are we going to get into the Carr family circus conversation like, here? Of, like, does he do actually peop- like, like do, Derek Carr? Do, that- people re- do, do people really like Derek Carr, are we going to get into this? Like, I mean, are we going to are, are we just we have get to ourselves do, blocked by the whole family? We just have to. I'm, I'm already there. Well, no, Derek Carr hasn't blocked me yet. I'm I'm two thirds of the way there. Like, listen, they were college teammates. They played together in college. They'll tweet at each other. They'll talk to each other. But does he really like? Him? Like, does he like him enough to say yes? 
that's where I'm going to go play football next. Because if does he does, he like then the, sure. Does, does he like the lack of state income tax and John Gruden's open checkbook? That's the real question. Yeah, maybe. Is the checkbook open next year? The, seriously? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, For, it's be. open. At, uh, if you're John Gruden, it's open every year. All you do is sidle up to the bar at the P.F. Chang's and say, I got a guy, and get Mark Davis to sign the check. I got a guy. <laughs> So, all right, even if even if this season ends with the current wide receiver production they're getting out of Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards and Hunter Renfro, you still think they'll, that John Gruden will want to chase after Devontae Adams? Of course he's going to want to chase after Devontae Adams because this season is going to ensure that they bring Derek Carr back. Right? Like, If you had any question about whether they play out the final season of Derek Carr's contract, this season is likely going to answer it if it looks like, let's say, even three quarters of what we've seen thus far. So, yeah, I think they're absolutely going to want to do that. The question is going to be, since we've quietly seen all these restructures pushing more uh, bonus money into next year, um, are they going to be able to cut guys in order to maneuver the cap? That'll be the real question. All right. I do have another question for you from last night. Mm. What's wrong with Steve Belichick? Oh, boy. Yeah, this is like, you know how we, we talked for years about how Belichick just seems to have a factory where he produces these no-name receivers and defensive players who can't succeed anywhere else and assistant coaches who seem to be the next great head coach hire and always flunk out? Somehow, a prototype that was not fully baked escaped from that factory, and it's Steve <laughs> Belichick. Um they didn't have a chance for the R&D team to fully work this thing out. And it looks like the glitch in the system is alive. Why He had to be doing it on purpose right last night, right? His tongue was out every time they showed him on the sideline. His tongue was out. Don't you think that maybe he just likes the rain, wanted to, like a dog just wanted to catch a little bit on his tongue? And, <laughs> you know, say, mm, like, I'm, I'm not sure that everything is firing in, in the same direction it should be with uh, with old Steve. So maybe maybe he was just enjoying the elements. All right, another question for you. Uh, Rodney Hudson on the NBC pregame show, there were four of them. They all were holding their own umbrellas except Rodney, or Rodney Hudson, Rodney Harrison. Um, why was Rodney Harrison not holding his umbrella, and who at ESPN Las Vegas would be the one to not hold their own umbrella? By the way, I like the question of can Rodney Hudson not hold his own umbrella uh, much better than the one about yeah. Rodney Harrison. <laughs> Um, <laughs> apparently Kyler Murray is holding that umbrella. Anyway, um, the Rodney Harrison question. Well, as a Giants fan, I know all about this. Um, I know that Rodney Harrison's just not very good with his hands. That's how David Tyree can catch a football <laughs> against his helmet. Um, who at ESPN Las Vegas would not hold their own umbrella? Oh boy. Um, this is an absolute dead heat between Graney and Adam Hill. Um, and I'm not a hundred percent. I'm going to go grainy in the end. Um, you know, he is sort of the mafia Don of that RJ crew. And so don't you think that there's some <laughs> intern from UNLV who's, you know, writing high school football stories would just jump at the chance to hold the umbrella for the Ed grainy. We need Ed to be in some location where it actually rains this year. So we can see this. So we can see somebody that got sent on a Raiders game with Ed Graney. Hey, it's raining. We got to do this video with Cassie Soto. Hold the umbrella for me. Who do you think it would be? Well, I was leaning Adam Hill the entire time, but I think you convinced me it's Ed. I think I'm on board with it being Ed Graney as the umbrella guy or the no, non-umbrella Adam, guy. You know what? I, I thought this through after I said it. 
I think it could have been Adam Hill, but in the end, Adam Hill wants to hold the umbrella, but just complained to everybody the whole time <laughs> that he had to hold the umbrella. All right, coming up next, Ashley Vice joins the show to talk about the Golden Knights. Passes up top, Petrangelo to the right. Martinez scores! One-timer for Alec Martinez. Power play goal, 2-0 Vegas. 10-14 to go in the second. Joining us now, the new ringside reporter for the Golden Knights, Ashley Vice. Ashley, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, important question. Have you been to Montana yet? I have not oh. been to Montana yet. The team is there this weekend. I'm jealous. Uh, or I guess <laughs> they get back today or they got back yesterday, but I have not made it there yet. It's definitely on the list. All right. I, I have another important question for you. So yes. if you watched Sunday Night Football last night on the pregame show, Rodney Harrison for some reason, was the only guy not holding his own umbrella. The umbrella. So uh, I'm going to ask you, you just got here, but throw somebody under the bus. Who on the AT&T Sportsnet broadcast crew would oh, be the no. one to not hold their own umbrella? You, I, I can't do that yet. I can't sewer someone already. Okay, it's Shane Knighty. It's just, Darren Millard. It's Darren Millard? It's, okay, it's Darren Millard. It's just not say it's, Darren Millard. Are you I sure? Don't know. I don't see that being okay. Darren Millard. All right, well, oh, we it's, can... 100, it's 100% <laughs> Millard. <laughs> I mean, Shane is the former player, so if you wanted to stick with, like, a stereotype, right, maybe you go that route. But, no, Shane's a super hard worker. I don't see him. I don't see him putting that extra work on anyone for no reason. But that was incredible. That The memes and the tweets, I just was, I was reading that topic on Twitter for hours on end yesterday. It was hilarious. Um, I have a question for you that comes directly from your own bio, and – it has nothing to do with hockey. I apologize. Um, you graduated from the University of Arkansas, and in your bio it says hog calling lessons are available upon request. Um, oh yeah. This, this is my request. No, we right don't here, want right this. Now. We don't want this, Adam. Yeah, we absolutely want this. No. Yeah. I I, I want to know how did how do I do this appropriately? Do you know how to do it already? Oh God, not at all. Not even a little. I'm from New York. I I, I I'm not, I've never met a hog, no, anything, and I, I need help. You know anything about calling the hog? Oh, no, no, but I'm sure Tyler does, and that's why he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. See, okay, Ashley, before, before you do this, I went to Ole Miss, so I have no interest oh. whatsoever in any hog calling going on. But if Adam wants that's to learn, even better. go that's ahead. Even better. Go ahead, Adam. You should be pretty familiar then. I, way too familiar. You've way heard too it familiar, yes. Football upset. Yes. I feel like that's the one thing. Up until this year, Arkansas football has not been the best, but Ole Miss is kind of the team that somehow Arkansas ends up getting a win. Yeah, often fourth and so 24 and overtime. I don't want to do yeah. that. I don't want to traumatize. I don't want to traumatize him and give him any bad flashbacks. That's okay. Bad I can Arkansas memory. So, <laughs> okay. So if you don't want to do it right now, that's fine. I think the thing is, basically, understand... here's the, the gist okay. of it. It's, it's woo pig suey, mm-hmm. but the woo is very exaggerated. You got your hands in the air and it's woo pig suey three times. And the last one is woo pig suey razorback. That's all. It's a little, Silly, but I will say, whenever you have crowds of fifty thousand plus doing it, pretty cool. It sounds pretty cool, and just pretty- understand that for as long as you come on this show, Tyler will eventually find a way to traumatize you, so you'll just be getting <laughs> even whenever you decide to do it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, Adam, one other keynote: there are spirit fingers involved with the calling <laughs> the hogs. 
Oh, my. I'm, I'm going to let you SEC people work this out. <laughs> so, Ashley, with, uh, with the Golden Knights here, I mean, you guys, we've gotten some preseason games in, but what's been uh, your favorite part so far of working for this team and covering this team through a few preseason games? You know, I think the fact that everyone has just been extremely welcoming, not only the broadcast crew, um, but everyone in the front office. It's very much a very open organization. Everyone's cubes are right in the middle. It's very clear that leadership has very much has an open-door policy. Um, most offices are glass offices. You can kind of see what everyone's doing all the time. Um, I've met, I feel like, almost the entire organization just in the first couple of quick weeks. So I would say honestly, just the culture of the organization as a whole. And then as far as the broadcast crew goes, they're, they've just been the most welcoming, inviting crew I can imagine. It's not always easy to jump into a group where everyone always knows each other, but they've made it feel extremely comfortable already. Um, so honestly, I would say that. I really enjoyed one of the first things I was able to do um, was media day. So I was sitting down with, I guess, about 16 players, the majority of the big-name players, um, that you think of when you think about the Vegas Golden Knights and did about 20-minute interviews with each of them on my first two days. So that was a really good opportunity uh, just to kind of get to know the different personalities on the team and things like that. So that probably stands out the most. However, not, I guess I'm giving too many answers here. You said one thing, um, but Friday's preseason game was incredible. The atmosphere at T-Mobile was through the roof. It was great the first couple home preseason games, but partially because of the performance, partially because it was a Friday night. I was pretty blown away at that place, especially being a preseason game. Which player was the best interview when you talked to talk them all for about 20 minutes? You know, so different people for different reasons. Um, I think that I have told some people that Jonathan Marcheseau kind of blew me away with his passion for the game whenever I was talking to him about it it's typical for hockey players to give cliche answers but it's clear that whenever he's talking about how badly he wants to win it's like a just a new I don't a a vibe comes over him that's kind of unexplainable his eyes light up and you can see the passion in his eyes and you can tell that he's really meaning what he's talking about he's just a gamer and you know that whenever you watch him play, but you know it even more whenever you start talking to him about hockey. His love of the game is uh, really blew me away. Ashley, coming over from the St. Louis Blues, you've had the opportunity, obviously, to view this organization from the outside. And Tyler kind of asked you about, mm-hmm. um, you know, what it's like. I- I'm curious, um, how does it compare to whatever the view is from outside the organization? Because we know among, uh, you know, those who cover the Golden Knights that, there are a lot of folks in other cities who are like, oh, gosh, Golden Knights fans, they never had to go through anything, and they succeeded immediately, and so on and so on. Here in right. Vegas, we kind of say, yeah, we waited like 30-odd years for a pro sports team. Like, It's not right. just instant success here. Right. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think that you do very quickly see things from the perspective of these fans' eyes, especially having the opportunity to be here for the anniversary of 1 October. It's so terrible that we even have to recognize that date. Um, But kind of just that reminder, I think people have kind of already forgotten around the league how the entire city and state rallied behind this team because of that. Um, And I think that, yeah, maybe there haven't been years of suffering through loss um, and, you know, not making it to the cup final, not doing all of those things. But the passion that was created – that season with how far they went with the fact that that shooting happened so soon before opening night 
like it's so clear once you get here the reason that this city rallies behind the players the way they do. So I, I guess I, I kind of get the perspective of you didn't wait 50 years. I mean, I came from St. Louis, and that was an organization that literally waited 51 years. <laughs> they could not get it done, and then they finally did it. So, yeah, it might not be the same, but then there's, there's the other things about Vegas that make it so cool that they've been so good right off the bat. So, you know, I kind of see both sides of it as far as the organization, as far as what I expected. I think it's pretty similar. I know, um, you know, they have a very great presence on social media, um, a lot of sassiness, a lot of edginess, like, you know, just even the misfit name, uh, the Golden Misfits from the first season. Uh, I said whenever I was talking to people before I even worked here that it's kind of like the cool kids in school and everyone kind of wants to pull off what they're doing, but no one can really get away with it, especially in some of the more conservative markets like St. Louis was. Um, So that has been what expected, and it's really fun to be on this side of it. Did you just follow Alex Petrangelo here? I did not. I did not. I did get those questions, though. It was (laughs) great to see him. Um, That was the one thing a lot of Blues fans, whenever I left, pointed out were – First Petrangelo, now this. Like, why is this <laughs> happening? Um, but, no, I, I am happy to be back covering him. He's great. His his family's great. Um, and I know that during his first season, uh, he had an incredible postseason, but I know, you know, players weren't able to be out and about in the community as much because of COVID. But I can say very confidently that this community is going to love him. He will, he will show up. He will be there. He will do the little things. And Vegas is lucky to have him for sure. All right, Ashley, we need your help with something. So Darren okay. Millard comes on this show regularly. Um, okay. Jared, he thinks his nickname is Mallard? Is yeah, that right? for some reason. Okay, so he thinks his nickname is Mallard, but we call him Millsy. Uh, can you help Millsy. us out and call him Millsy the next time you see him? I can do that. Okay. I that... can do that. And then the next time, and then the next time, and then yes. the next time. Yes, okay. That I would keep that going. That would be much appreciated because he, <laughs> I don't know, doesn't like that nickname. I don't know what's happening. He thinks he's Mallard, which, uh, whatever. We're he, not calling him Mallard. He made the mistake of telling us he didn't like that nickname. That's what it was. That's right. Oh, he, he doesn't, doesn't like, like Milby. He doesn't yes, like it. That's what did it was. Did you guys make it up, or did you hear it from someone else? No, it's just a hockey nickname. Yeah, You yeah. just take the name, and you add a Y. Yeah, you just take, like, the yeah. first syllable of the last name, put a Y on the end or yeah. something. Yeah, so that's what he did. He doesn't like it. So. We will very much appreciate if you start calling Darren Millard Millsy. Uh, that will help us out tremendously. She is Ashley Vice, uh, new ringside reporter for the Golden Knights. Ashley, thank you so much for your time this morning. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Hope to be back again soon. Yes, we do, too. I, uh, I am on board with getting into any new Golden Knights employee and getting them to call Darren Millard Millsy. It's the only thing I yeah. want to do from now on. By the way, you might want to cut and clip this as the only time that someone has said, I'm excited to get back and come talk to you on this show. Like, you might want to get Ashley together with Cassie Soto and let her know what it's like uh, <laughs> by the time you're, you know, two or three months into this. Cassie keeps coming back. Shouldn't have a choice. Well, she also has a new app that she's trying to get <laughs> off the ground, and we're the only ones that call her. Coming up next, we'll stick with the Golden Knights and. What exactly is happening with Robin Leonard's accusations across the NHL? Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Vegas recovers the puck and out they go. Petrangelo leading his man Carlson. He shoots. He scores! William Carlson! Two points tonight. 3-0 Vegas. Just 18 seconds into the period. The Robin Leonard has made uh, quite a few headlines in the NHL over the weekend. He has accused NHL teams um, 
of giving out Ambien and benzodiazepines to players without prescriptions. Uh, benzodiazepines, uh, Xanax is a benzodiazepine. I should have been a hockey player. Uh, so basically Ambien, Xanax type drugs uh, given regularly to players for travel. Uh, and as Robin Leonard said, many teams without prescription just hand it out. Uh, he's also claims that he has stored up stories about this for years. He has also criticized the Sabres for how they are handling the Jack Eichel situation where Jack Eichel wants to have one type of surgery, but the Sabres are saying, no, you can't have that. You need to have a different type of surgery. And that's at the heart of the issue as to why Jack Eichel is no longer the captain and not going to play for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, I know David Shane yesterday reported the NHL has requested to interview Robin Leonard about the things that he has uh, tweeted about and accused NHL teams of doing. Um, Adam, I, my first thought when I read this was that it was pretty easy to believe. Like I didn't find this to be some type of story that was like, Oh, can't believe an NHL team would do that. And then it sort of fell into, okay, well, if it's been happening and I believe it's been happening, like it's an easy story to believe. Does this just ultimately come across as like, Oh, it's a something that employees know that's happening. And they were too afraid to talk about it because it would hurt their employer and they might get hurt if something happens. I'm not even sure I see this from some sort of workers' rights perspective. I think that there are two things at play here. One, um, I am really curious as to how Robin Leonard is choosing to go about this, right? It's not like, you know, you call a press conference or you get a reporter to, you know, to come over to you after a skate or something like that and, and try to get this story out there. He's out there for all the world to see, throwing out some pretty wild accusations. And I say wild, not as in they're unbelievable, because I agree with you. I think they're they're believable. I think wild in terms of they're really going to shake things up. And when he says things like, watch now, NHL will try to cancel me, I don't really <laughs> understand the method. Um, and maybe it's not for me to understand how Robin Leonard is choosing to go about this, using his Twitter once again as a way to try to stir things up. Um, the second thing about this is that Robin Leonard, the hockey player, and I think we need to separate that out. Robin Leonard, the Vegas Golden Knights goaltender, better damn well be ready to go from day one because he has raised so much crap over so many things, legitimate or not, on his social media this offseason that his margin for error is absolutely zero from folks who say, did the Golden Knights make the right move by getting rid of Marc-Andre Fleury in order to hand the franchise over to Robin Leonard? And that's going to get played, I'm sure, by some as, oh, he's questioning Robin Leonard's mental health. Nope, because this didn't have anything to do specifically with Robin Leonard's mental health. This has to do with Robin Leonard, in his eyes, trying to right a wrong in the NHL, but at the same time saying that the league's going to cancel him and calling for a coach to be fired. Yeah, I mean, from the just from like the fan perspective, the Golden Knights fans have all I've already seen tweets about it being like, what is Robin Leonard doing? Like basically just shut up and play type things like that's that, that's already happened and nothing else has really come from this just yet. So you I mean, you're right. He was already in hell. He's talked about it when Marc-Andre Fleury got traded about how the fan base is so much in love with Marc-Andre Fleury. And a lot of that turns into not liking whoever the backup goalie is. It was Malcolm Subban first, and then it was Robin Leonard. So, mm. uh, like, he was already, even, even if he never said anything, he was already going to be under a lot of pressure just to, from day one, be awesome because Marc-Andre Fleury is no longer here, and the majority of the fan base did not agree with that decision from the front office. But now it's, it's 
I mean, beyond Golden Knights, it might be across the entire National Hockey League with, yeah, when you ask for Elaine Vigneault, like that he needs to be fired in Philadelphia, yeah, it becomes a, he's got to be ready to go. He's got to be really good. He's got to prove it on the ice and basically say, yes, I am a tremendous goalie and everything else doesn't matter. You can't come at me with anything else because I've been a tremendous goalie. Right, and that is not to take away anything from the seriousness of the issues that Robin Leonard is talking about because we know that his quest all along has been to try to destigmatize mental health and to try to get people to act the right way in terms of treating mental health. And so when we talk about Ambien and Xanax, we are talking about uh, ways of dealing with proper mental health. Now, this got spurred right now for anybody who's saying, why is he talking about it now? by Jack Eichel's situation in Buffalo, which deserves its own conversation of the NHL (laughs) likes to use upper and lower body injury as the only medical information you get until it behooves a franchise to try to explain why they strip the captaincy and fight a PR battle with one of the uh, best players in the league. Then all of a sudden it's fair game to put everybody's medical history out there. So I get where Robin Leonard is coming from in terms of saying we need to do better in terms of how we treat players from the league and team perspective in terms of their medicals. However, here we sit days before the start of the regular season and Robin Leonard is essentially calling attention all onto himself over these issues. And I think you have to ask the question at some point as as an employer And to go back to what you brought up originally, Tyler, as an employer, at what point do you ask questions about the the readiness of your employee to do the job? Well, and especially the Golden Knights. I mean, this is an organization that do we see players tweet? Do we see like Mm, Jonathan Jonathan Marceau posted a bunch of stuff on Instagram comments during the playoffs and those are quickly deleted. And like this is an organization that keeps things extremely tight. Like Robin Leonard is a massive outlier for that like he's an outlier across the entire league but especially for this team and so just from the golden knights perspective from the hey the seasons here perspective yeah it's it's a it's a big deal now i the one of the things you brought up the last 30 seconds if i can get this in here the method that he's going about this i do feel like he sort of said well i'm just gonna blow things up and just make sure everybody's aware of it when he might have been better off going like whether it's straight to the league to complain about it or if he did that and it didn't work going to some reporter and saying hey i've got this story with you i will work with you on it but this needs to be public because this needs to be changed so that's where we are with robin leonard we'll see is he healthy is he going to be able to play he left his last game injured we'll see robin leonard vegas golden knights goalie wouldn't have it any different